I'm back, baby. It's been a minute. What's going on, everyone? We uh we took a couple days off to uh recuperate slash give ourselves a, a mental break, if you will, slash work extremely hard outside of the podcast to do real world and real life things. But <laughs> nonetheless, we always come back. Everything, as always, comes back to us. Now, I tried to use the Thanos quote, but it didn't yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like I'm not inevitable, so it's just, it, it doesn't. Apply no, to, but... I don't. I don't think. I don't <laughs> think that would be the word we'd use for either of us. Said honestly, no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. But <laughs> what's going on, everyone? Thanks for jumping in. Um, we are back talking a little bit of English footy and all the like. A lot has happened the last like ten days in in England. Um, seemingly because every game is played every three days, so checks out. But Rian, how you doing? It was good to see you this weekend. Get to uh, get to hang out and like just do. It's okay. I say that in a very weird, precarious way, like <laughs> hanging out. But I meant that genuinely because it was very odd to me, like being around more than three people <laughs> for <laughs> once outside, and that was just oh, so nice. So nice. So I'm still getting used to what social interaction looks like. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was very nice. We got to play, we got to play very small sided soccer, and unfortunately, we didn't get to play on the main field at the park nearby. But uh, no, it was just nice to actually run around again. And most of us looked like we hadn't run around for, let's just say, at best six months. But <laughs> But even that yeah, might think, be, no, might that's, be that's generous. Right. That might be even generous. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it was it was good. And hoping hoping that now it seems like we're over the hump in terms of like the frigid cold weather, the cold weather that actually would demoralize you to go out and try to do anything. <laughs> it seems like we're over the hump of that. So hopefully we're, we're a bit more active as the uh, as the weather warms up here, or else that will be really it for us in terms of um health and fitness yo it would be oh game over game over my god i'd be walking around the like an iguane-esque gut just <laughs> oh it would not be pretty but yeah i it was just nice to get out and also the sun sets at like seven now which is just yeah. game changer because after work you can go out and walk around you can play some tennis i like i play tennis sometimes after work um during the spring and the fall but yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm really hyped about. Just get outside and like just breathe some fresh air. As shocking as that's like it sounds so simple, but it's actually very realistic. Like, oh hey, going outside and actually breathing. That's that's pretty infrequent. But yeah, that's where I'm at in life. If you can, if you could <laughs> But yeah. We uh yeah, Rihanna and I spent some time together this weekend. Very fun as always. Um both Saturday and Sunday, actually now that I think of it. Uh, so yeah, all good fun. All good fun. Rian, how much Premier League did you actually get to watch? Not maybe not this weekend because it was all mainly FA Cup with these extra Spurs, but in the last like eight days, how much how much Premier League have we realistically watched? I mean, well, it, it always feels like it's been more than eight days because of how this season has been scheduled, but. Um, but yeah, you're right. This past this past weekend, there was mostly FA Cup games. Uh, I think we're going to get on to Arsenal's comeback, their three goal comeback against West Ham, and uh, and Spurs 
just fi- finding a way to pull a single positive from this week <laughs> by, by getting a win against Aston Villa. So I, I think maybe this is about as good a time to to start, right? At least I, I think starting with Arsenal and West Ham. Yeah, let's let's do this it. This was yeah. very... Uh, I mean, I, I definitely saw some stuff on Twitter and, and just from listening to a couple <laughs> of their soccer podcasts. Um, very un-Arsenal. Very un-Arsenal of, game. Yeah, yeah. It was very... Well, not in the first Historically. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as no, a whole. I'm true. talking about as a game, not not the half. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as a whole, it was like, oh my God, the most unequivocally non-Arsenal game you could have imagined. And also, if you could define tale of two halves in a definition, like example, this would basically be it. But yeah, I mean, going down 3-0 to an informed West Ham side, it has to be said. Um, and to come back from 3-0 down to tie 3-3 could have maybe gone on to win, potentially. Not really, but potentially. Yeah, but with the time that was left, you, you yeah. would have... Yeah. The momentum was definitely there, but the game yeah. kind of died out a bit once it was drawn at three. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about this game then, right? What do you think went wrong with them in the first half? And then what what saved them in the second? Uh, I think the, the first half, it's just... No, no, I should say that we missed most of the, the first half because we were playing soccer. So everything else I've had to go back and watch myself, but... In all honesty, it seemed like Arsenal just came out a bit flat, right? And, and they looked like a team that had just played on Thursday. Um, playing against a team that was fresh the entire week, of course. But that, but that doesn't discredit West Ham's start to the to the game, right? They had three goals in the first uh, 35 minutes. So with a great goal from Jesse Lingard, the first, the first goal West Ham scored... Uh, but no, it's seven goals and assists now from Jesse Lingard in his first seven games uh, for West Ham. And he's averaging a career high in shot creating actions per 90. Also in attempted dribbles and carries into the penalty area per 90. So it's just a perfect situation for him. We've, we've talked about it before um, where he is more of the guy at West Ham than he, than he ever would have been probably at Manchester United. But it's just, it's a role that suits him, a setup that suits him a, uh, a lot better. And, and it's really nice to see uh, to see his career kind of reach this new level where he's maybe not the guy that we, that we would have thought he would have been but because of how early he was starting for Manchester United. But this is still a very good Premier League player here and, and he's showing it. So... Really happy for him. But from the Arsenal side, the second half, I think it's just all about Martin Odegaard. And and I think he not only was the main contributor in that second half, but he was also the guy that they looked to the most in that second half. And you see that with the fact that he was targeted 81 times for a pass. Right versus West Ham, and that's a season high for him for this for this year. Even when you pull in his Real Madrid games, but the funny thing, it's also higher than any time last season that he was targeted for for passes 
um, at, at Real Sociedad. He was never targeted really? 81 times for a pass. So it, it's such a, he's wow. really settling, not just settling into this team, but he's becoming a focal point already. It's yeah. also five straight games for him with four plus shot creating actions and he had 11 of them against West Ham. So it was all running through him for Arsenal. I mean, Martin Odegaard, I don't want to like keep going and harping on this point because I do it every week. <laughs> like Martin Odegaard is the truth. I've, I have re I realized this four years ago. Like I'm not at all surprised. Um, I am surprised that he's doing it at Arsenal. And I am surprised, quite honestly, that he adapted so quickly to to the Premier League. But in some ways, I'm not. Because basically, the standard that Arsenal held themselves to was, like, below the bottom. Like, it was low, very low. And Martin Odegaard is obviously a very high-quality player. And for him to come into a squad that was missing literally a number 10 they have no number 10s in their squad and for one one of probably the top i would say top two or top three youth prospects in the number 10 position the true number 10 position in the world to come to arsenal is obviously going to make a major difference in the way this this team plays and you basically saw exactly that in the second half of this game and i think arsenal fans are probably <laughs> realizing just how good he is now but even in his early games for the club i mean what, like a month ago he was he was balling it just wasn't as apparent and he was doing things that no one on arsenal could do in terms of ball progression breaking breaking the lines i mean you especially saw this past weekend but breaking lines with his passes i mean he draws so many people towards him it's it's incredible to see the way that he gets out of that. So, yeah, Martin Odegaard is a focal point of this team, but I'm just warning Arsenal fans now, do not expect him to stick around. <laughs> like, after the end of the season. I'm, I'm sorry, just do not expect that. Yeah, so so that's so that's the other side of this, right? Um, playing wonderfully, playing wonderfully for Arsenal. And obviously, I'm pretty curious about what happens to him in the summer, right? And... Elias, I would love to hear your opinion on this, but, but where do you believe his future lies at with Real Madrid? And and I think my question would be like personally, how much of this depends on Zinedine Zidane being yeah. either the coach or or maybe he changes his? Do you think he changes his mind in the summer? It's a it's a really good question, and I think it it depends very largely on two factors. Depends one. Who Real Madrid and Florentino Perez want to bring in over the summer, whether that's your Mbappes of the world, right? What marquee signings are they going to make? Number two, it 100% depends on what Zidane wants to do with Odegaard. The reason why Odegaard left Real Madrid to go to Arsenal in the first place was purely for playing time. It was just get me on the field because I'm not going to be taking Luka Modric's spot, which is not my natural position. I'm not going to be taking Tony Kroos's spot. Again, not my natural position. Quite honestly, there is no natural position in this Real Madrid team for Martin Odegaard. So where is he to go? Somewhere else, obviously. But I think a couple of things are probably going to happen at Madrid over the next, I would say, four months. One... I think they're going to make a number of, of key signings and key departures from this team. And Martin Odegaard may very well fit into this team to the starting lineup come the summer. I do think that 
Real Madrid need to figure out exactly what position is best suited for him because over the course of the past year, even since he's been a Real Sociedad, right, came back, they haven't been able to figure it out after watching, I mean, hours of film. So that's that's on them. But at the same time, you kind of look at the Arsenal situation and think, well, it makes perfect sense for him to stay at Arsenal. Why wouldn't he? And my answer to that would be, I actually agree with you. I think it makes sense for him to stay at Arsenal, whether it's another loan spell or potentially, let's say, a one-year deal or something like that. But I don't think Real Madrid, again, are that type of club. Real Madrid are not going to let one of the biggest, you know, young starlets in the world, arguably, go to, you know, out of their grasp, basically. So it, it depends on Zidane. It depends on players that Madrid sign. But... It, Real Madrid have all of the power here. Let's be honest. They they own the rights to the player. They don't have to necessarily give him up. And they can always bring him out, back to be a quote-unquote squad player, even though that's not what he may not... He may not want to do that, so... All right, and, all right well, quickly before we move on to Spurs, staying on that Zidane and Real Madrid point, at least... We'll, I, I'm of the opinion if Zidane's not the coach next season, then I think there's a great chance that Odegaard goes back. Yep. Um, I guess the question there is, this felt like a much more poignant question months ago, but what is what is the real possibility now that you think that Zidane would not be the coach next season for Real Madrid? I mean, it looks like they've kind of stabilized. It, they've got... It, they, they're probably happier with their Champions League draw than most yeah. other teams, right? Um, even, well, even though Liverpool, even though Liverpool looked good in the Champions League, we should say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but uh, I think they would have looked to avoid any of basically any of the other teams. <laughs> Bayern, PSG, or City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I think they'll they'll look at it favor favorably, especially because of the side of the bracket that they're on too, right? But um, yeah. What what does it look like now for Zinedine Zidane? Do you think it's now more likely for him to be the coach next season? I think it's it's fairly likely he's in charge of Real Madrid the next season. I think they give him another season almost to transition, right? Because, again, this summer is going to be a big summer for them. But I think the alternative, you have to look at it from that point of view, right? The alternative for Real Madrid is going through another coaching overhaul right at the same time as a squad overhaul. It, it's a lot of changes. I think they keep it's messy. Yeah. So, yeah. Odegaard probably going back, but at the same time, Zidane probably staying. It's a weird situation, I know. <laughs> so from there, we should probably talk about Arsenal's crosstown rivals. The team that Arsenal looked wonderful against last week, um, or a weekend ago, which is Tottenham Hotspur, who had an absolutely terrible week. Um, you throw what a, in... Yeah, what a shit week for them. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> horrendous maybe not absolutely terrible but very very no bad. Uh, why would why is it an absolutely terrible it is absolutely a horrendous week for them no doubt like you all you needed to do was not concede two plus goals that's all you had to do and they conceded three like yeah. i you, you you okay you're jose Mourinho. And you wake up on Thursday morning and go, huh, if we play the way that I've wanted this team to play for the last year, I think I think we can go through the next round. And then they didn't. 
like they uh, that's a whole Europa League conversation, but we can get into that. Obviously, no, no, that's got to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, but they were knocked out by Dinamo. Like, ah, it. They are. They are a frustrating team. They they needed this win against Aston Villa. Yes, they absolutely needed to convince against Aston Villa too, and. I'm the only player that I can really shout out in this in this weekend game was Lucas Mora. I mean, he had the most number of touches, he had the most number of chances created in this game. He he was a standout player in this in this match. But there's a much deeper problem at Spurs. There is a much much deeper fundamental problem that has lasted since Pochettino came into the job, and it has to do completely with just squad rejuvenation. It, it basically comes down to squad rejuvenation. I mean, the the desire and the mental state of some of these players is just so stale, combined with the fact that the quality does not exist, especially defensively, when you have a coach in Jose Mourinho that just <laughs> insists on playing such a heavily defensive style of football that relies, I would say, on ball carrying and ball intercepting defensive midfielders and center backs that are arguably two footed as in can run walk and pass the ball, but, and, and, and may as well and have to have almost the ability of Virgil van Dyke. Yeah, basically, (laughs) basically, which is funny enough in his most successive teams, the type of players that he's had, right? Those two characteristics, you Xabi Alonso and Sergio Ramos Pepe at Real Madrid. You had a fantastic Chelsea partnership in John Terry, I would say Ivanovic, right? Probably. And Carvalho. And Carvalho, Carvalho. Carvalho as well. Matic at the time as well. So again, the most successful teams had those two qualities. Spurs are beyond like shithousery when it comes to those specific positions. And ultimately, that's that's why Mourinho was put in a position to fail, quite honestly. So, I don't I don't think this this result changes a lot for them, quite honestly, other than maybe getting them back on the right track. But we could easily see them go next weekend and, and take a massive L. Yeah, and and, and to think uh, their week started with just a glitch goal. <laughs> no, I, a glitch is too. It's too. Is honestly too. I, that's very how, how kind. To Eric how kind. It's, it's, it's disrespectful to Eric Lamella. It, it was an unbelievable goal. Um, it, it's also a hilarious goal to look back on now because ninety eight percent of players are using their right foot there, and it's actually just hilarious that he that he um, goes with with the Rabona, and it's it's like it's it's a goal where he hit it, and in the moment, I didn't know what happened. I couldn't quite tell what happened. I was just like, oh well, that was a really cool mag goal and then you see and and i mean it, it's gonna be probably goal of the season um in in the premier league yeah and, i mean and so, yeah. and, <laughs> and i think their week started like that and then they were just obviously that goal is so against the run of play in that game and <laughs> and, and arsenal granted you could say the, the the penalty itself was was maybe contentious but um Arsenal deserved the win in that game, and no one's going to argue against that. And then, obviously, we see what happened against Zagreb, and 
Yeah, they just needed the three points against Villa. And and this season has now come down to obviously still trying to make top four, and they're not totally out of that. They are, um, I believe they are two points off of, or three points off of fourth place Chelsea right now. And they still have a League Cup final to play um, against Manchester City. I just don't know if, I don't know if winning that and not making top four is going to be enough for Jose Mourinho to keep his job, but then again, it's like what what is out there, and and like you said, at least the problems are deeper than Jose Mourinho. Like it, that's it's... okay. That, that's the thing, right? This is the other part. You can talk about how the problems are deeper than Jose, but here's the other point that you just touched on: what other options do they have other than Jose Mourinho? Maybe Nagelsmann, right? Like maybe, but also. I don't think he's coming to this dumpster, dumpster fire of a club. So that aside, <laughs> you're going to have to pay Jose Mourinho a boatload of cash to, to let him go over the summer. That is, in my eyes, an equivalent to a player that you could buy over the summer, especially during a time when the pandemic has just absolutely destroyed the cash flow of some of these clubs. Tottenham, of course, being one of them. So if you're sitting in Daniel Levy's office why would you let a world-class player go rather than actually focusing on the specific problems of the club, which you may not want to admit, but if you have the best best interest of the club moving forward heart, you're going to have to make those hard decisions and letting some of your quote-unquote key players that have been around for a while go. So I don't even think it's about between now and the end of the season, what Spurs can accomplish. Because they they had the whole season to accomplish half of the things that they wanted to do. They had two-thirds of it. Two-thirds of it is gone. But you still have to play City in the EFL right, Cup Final. They play Manchester United, I believe, on April 11th. Then they play Everton. And they have Leicester at the very, the very last game of the season. So this could not only get ugly like like for for spurs and kind of the short-term bias point of view but i think it's only just going to open up wounds and make them realize that they aren't where they would like to be still despite some of the signings they've made in the last year and a half it's just the mentality of this club is not one of a of a top four side i think at times individual quality has taken them there but not not like this yeah, and it's it'll be a difficult, obviously, end of the season for them. And you're right that they play. So they play Newcastle after the international break we have here. They play then Manchester United and Everton, and then um, those are both in the league. And then after that, they play Manchester City in the in the EFL Cup final. But yeah, it, it's it's hard to tell. I I can't keep anything. Um, I can't pin anything down for this Tottenham team, especially with Son, who's been injured the last few games, of course. And it, it's just there's a lot of inconsistency in that in that attacking trio or or uh, quadruple. Now that they that Mourinho's been playing more with four kind of attackers up front now, but um, it, it's not an easy one. You're right. You're right. I, I do think about if. The choices between paying Jose Mourinho tens of millions of pounds in the 30 to 40 million pound range to sack him and the other choices potentially 
if you miss out on the Champions League this season, and if you bring him back and miss out on it again next season, I think the cost is a lot more than 30 or 40 million pounds. So that's going to be the choice at the end of the season. Um, and that's, of course, if they still don't make the top four, which they are, again, only three points off of it. And, and they're going to need some help going their way, obviously. But yeah, it's it's from now on, it's going to be very difficult, right? And there's it's just really hard to see the the pathway to this team becoming consistent enough on all parts of the of the field to make a run and, and to make a real push to to overcome the teams above them in in this top four race. I mean, granted, West Ham doesn't have remotely the same talent level, right? But um, they've still shown more consist- consistency this season. So. Yeah, there's still yeah. a lot of games that'll be played, but but it's gonna take it's gonna take a, a somewhat drastic change from from um, Tottenham in in terms of just how the team is playing right now, confidence level, tactics, form, whatever it might be. Yeah, they need to change a lot. TLDR. So, <laughs> on that note, Rian, let's take a quick break and we can come back talk about the FA Cup games this weekend and why uh, probably. You'll, you'll love to hear me say this, but uh, Chelsea might go on to win the Champions League. What? Okay, I didn't say that. We'll take a break. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back talking a little FA Cup roundup from this past weekend, of course, taking over kind of the majority of the weekend in terms of the Premier League. So let's start, Rian, with a little Leicester United course uh united showcasing their best defensive i mean masterclass just from fred and and (laughs) i mean i've never seen anything as rambunctious as that so (laughs) what what exactly went wrong for united in this game let's start there because i don't i'm not necessarily of the opinion that ianacho like had, like just had a world class match. I'm of the opinion that United spoon fed this quarterfinal to Leicester. I I think a bit of both. I think definitely a bit of both. To give Ihanacho the Nigerian prince his credit, <laughs> he has come alive recently. He's got seven goals in his last four games in all competitions. Before those last four games, he only had six goals all season. So this includes a hat trick against Sheffield United a co- um about a week ago. And then two goals here against Manchester United in the quarterfinal here. And, you know, you add this semifinal appearance. Plus, it looks like Leicester are not going to let the top four slip this season. They have a great shot at an, an, FA, Cup, an FA Cup final and only one point off of second place to uh, second place Manchester United, actually. So this is looking like a, an unbelievable season for them. And obviously nothing will compare to the 2015-2016 season, right? But if we're just talking about consistency in all competitions, right, and and throughout the season in every competition, this team has been almost as good as that team, just in terms of how they've been playing, actually playing. So um, much credit to them. And, you know, doing this at times without guys like James Madison, they've missed Jimmy Vardy for a couple games, uh, Soyuncu was missing for a lot of the first half of the season. Like, 
this is a wonderful coaching job for for uh, Brendan Rodgers and just a shameless plug again for the for our news our last newsletter from last month on Lester's rise in the last couple of couple of years financially and uh and coaching wise right but um from the united side goodness uh this was that's, rough that's the name of the podcast goodness <laughs> i love it I love, that's a great name <laughs> i mean it was rough it was just a horrible day for matic and fred um especially it's just you see that midfield too, and you see on the other side is Yuri Tielemans and Wilfred Ndidi. And if you switch the jerseys, you'd be like, <laughs> this actually makes sense. But... It's so true. <laughs> Everything you just said is so true. Like, the need for United, like, for a world-class number six is just, it's, it is their most lacking position right now they just do not have a number six <laughs> and Wilfred and Didi or and Telemans oh my god they swapped would be amazing yeah it, it's it, they were utterly outclassed the entire game right and, and you you pointed out it right they United desperately need a defensive midfielder who can not only protect their back line but can also just pass just pass the ball it's something that Fred is having a lot of trouble with recently. So it's it's an obvious glaring spot for, for Manchester United Manchester United. And it is it is a lot of the reason why they always seem so unorganized in the midfield, especially. And um and I'll always say that part of that is you know, because they're there I, I feel like their build up play is not is not organized in, in a lot of senses, but they're missing players who are able to just be calm on the ball. And I, I can't name a single one of their midfielders outside of Paul Pogba, who we've established is, is not the defensive midfielder that they, that they are looking for, that they need. Right. But, um, but he's the only midfielder, unfortunately, center midfielder who has genuine calm on the ball and, and keeps it. And, United are missing someone who can also help defend while doing that. So, like, Van de Beek? If you had to pick play. a midfielder Donny right did now. play. Donny did no, play know. during that game. Um, I, I don't think he can do the defensive side that they need. Agreed. Um, Agreed. But, I, I mean, I do feel like there's a place for him in the team unfortunately it seems like he's kind of being compared to Bruno Fernandez in terms of position wise and that's yeah. keeping him a lot of out of a lot of games which is really unfortunate for him and and really unfortunate for his development when you think about the season that he should have had right so um yeah there's there's i mean there's so many i i feel like there are a lot of options in terms of just defensive midfielders who are an upgrade on Nemanja Matic and Fred. I, I think they're. I think they can find a lot of those. Right? It doesn't have to be someone who's necessarily world class. It just has to be an upgrade there, right? So, um, for Lesser, wonderful. Like now they got they got the lucky draw. They got Southampton in the semifinals now. Um, 
Manchester United are still in the Europa League. They had a good win against AC Milan, and they have to be seen as overwhelming favorites to win the Europa League now. And, and I don't think it would be unfair to say if they do not win the Europa League, then this there's a definite disappointment in this season, right? Because it doesn't feel like they're going to get close to Manchester City, right? Who are 14 points ahead of them. Although they did beat them. They are the only team to beat them in the yeah, last few months. Yeah, well, it's, it's but, not um, even about that. I think it's just a matter of narratives again, where there's a very fine line between success and what's perceived as success for United this season and what actually is tangible, right? So finishing second and winning the Europa League, that that I think is success. Yeah. Like, I think that's that's not only very feasible, but it would probably be considered all in all a decent season for by United's it, it current would, standards. What their best probably it would be probably considered their best season since Sir Alex Ferguson left, right? Yeah, pro- probably. But at the same time, you have games like yesterday, right, where Ole just a I don't think got it right, but B was the subject of some pretty terrible individual errors, which you can't put on him at all. That makes you kind of think again what United are like in some of these knockout matches. And it's not a generic blanket statement. It's pretty all-encompassing that they haven't won a trophy since, what, how many years? Since I I think the Europa League, maybe four years ago under Mourinho. That's what I I was thinking, too. So, yeah, it's, it's been a minute. And I think that if United get to a point where they don't win the Europa League or don't make it to the final, then people are going to be calling for Ole out. Like, again, there's, I think a lot of people still believe that he should not maybe be the the coach moving forward, but are content with how things are going right now. So I think it's going to be a very goal-oriented, result-driven See, like just season between now and and May, and it seems obvious to say that because obviously, but at the same time, like it, it's very much black and white. I think it's more black and white for United than it is any other team. Yeah, and and I think even granted, finishing third would be a, a slight disappointment for them, right? But winning the Europa League, winning a trophy, uh, especially still a European competition. Like this should still be the minimum of what is expected for a club like Manchester United. Yes, we were not able to make it into the into the knockout stages of the cha- of the Champions League. That's a massive disappointment. But now we are in the Europa League, and we should feel like we're the best team in here. And they, talent wise, are the best team left. And and we would have said that no matter like Tottenham losing um, to Zagreb. Right, we would have still said Manchester United were had the best talent left in in the Europa League. So, yeah, that's that is now the the objective because it looks like, looks like they're safe for um staying in the top four, right? And 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 even most likely probably staying either second or third. Yeah, so. I, it shockingly they're again another very weird team in in the Premier League. United just make no sense to me in that sense. Like they could. They could win three in a row in the in the Premier League and go and do this in the FA Cup. And again, completely black and white reactions. So I, I don't know where United go from the rest of the season, but I do know that they, they're on the tip of success. They, they shockingly are. They're close, right, now. right? Yeah, before we move on, like they're close. It feels like they're close. The players are, it feels like the players are there 
and it feels like there just needs yeah. to be an extra 10, 15% that comes from whether it's another player, like you said, it's a defensive midfielder, um, or or a, a coach that has a bit more of a a bit more of a clear directive, right? Um, other than all of the intangible stuff in terms of man management and just kind of keeping the squad happy that that Ole has been so successful at, right? So, um, from there we we should look over to the other side of the semifinal draw for the FA Cup, which drew Chelsea against Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about um, this? <laughs> well, uh, who knows? This could be the third of potentially four times that Chelsea and Manchester City play against each other this season if if things go well for each of them in the Champions League, right? But, um, That's true. I, I, I think this should be a really fun game, or it might be extremely boring because both of these teams do this almost very similar things in possession where it's def- pretty defensive possession. We're keeping the ball and also defending by keeping the ball. So it could actually be a very, very uh, boring game. I- I'm not going to, not going to rule that out for sure. <laughs> um, but from the Chelsea side, they'll, they'll definitely be confident. I think going into that game and it's in a couple of weeks, um, but overall, they're, they're looking like a confident team at the moment. Since Tuchel's appointment, they're in the Premier League. They're second to Manchester City in terms of points, in terms of non-penalty expected goal difference and expected points. And they got very, very fortunate um, with their draw in the Champions League as they play Porto next in the quarterfinals. And they have found a way to stay on the other side of the bracket away from... Bayern, PSG, and Manchester City. <laughs> Literally right? all on one side, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think for the rest of the season, Chelsea have to feel confident about how things are going right now. Still yet to lose under Thomas Tuchel. But I, I do think the one area that concerns me for the team is their efficiency level in finishing. Right? And in that same time span since Tuchel has been the coach, they have an expected goal to goal differential of over five, right? And that's the second most in the Premier League in that time. And they're the only team in the current top six standings with an expected goal count that is higher than their goals, than their actual goal scored for this entire season. And Brighton says I've what? Seen- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're right are in the top six in terms of like expected goal difference. Unfortunately, they get nowhere <laughs> close to, <laughs> to hitting their level. <laughs> they're even close to their level, right? But, um, but I think that's what will concern me about Chelsea, not just in the Premier League. Uh, I mean, well, I think maybe less in the Premier League, but more in these knockout competitions, especially the semifinal coming up against City. But in the Champions League as well, right? Um, they're much of the time not getting a goal out of um, out of sheer brilliance, right? I mean, we can always look back to the the bicycle kick from from Giroud in the first leg against Atletico Madrid, right? But um, but elite teams 
finish at an overperforming level, right? To their expected goals because their finishers are for the most part elite, right? And you and that's the thing with when we look at expected goals, right? And we and you know there are times when teams way underperform it, and the knee jerk reaction is to say, "Oh well, this model this doesn't work. Like this is stupid, whatever." But the thing is like. If you're really good at finishing, you're supposed to break the model. That That is actually the thing that makes sense, right? You're supposed to overperform if you're really, really right. good at it. And and right now, I don't think Chelsea are on that level of Manchester City and, and many of the other teams who are left in the Champions League if, if we're just talking about pure efficiency levels of, of finishing. And that's the one thing that will, that will uh, keep me back from being overconfident about Chelsea's chances in the uh, Champions League. Whole different story for Manchester City, though. Well, yeah, no, it definitely is. But just the last point that I'll make on Chelsea, I I think that it's fair to say that bar those those points that you made about their chance creation versus finishing ability, I think we all expect them to get through against Porto, not because I think we we hear of a club like Porto and think they are of lesser quality. But I would think that Chelsea go through based on the fact that they are in such good form and did just beat an Atletico team, albeit it's declining in form, but still a somewhat strong Atletico team. Um, so I think I think Chelsea are probably would probably be disappointed not to make the semifinals of the Champions League, which is not something they've done in I, I believe since the 2012 season. Is that that seems right. since since 2014. 20- 14 when they lost in the semifinal to uh oh, to Atletico, Atletico actually oh yeah. that's right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> um so yeah it's been what seven years basically seven years since yeah. that's happened um but I think you have to go through <laughs> you have to go through Porto first that's not gonna that's not gonna be an easy draw like let, let's be honest this is a team that against quite honestly a poor Juve side did not do well they simply or I should say Porto did well, Juve did not in the, in the tie, but P- Porto stood up to Juve in every possible way. Yeah. It, it was, they did not make that game or that, uh, that draw easy for Juventus. And there's a reason why Juventus are no longer in the Champions League. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think Chelsea are in a good spot. I think the confidence is key. Pulisic can continue to do elasticos and, and probably only pay, <laughs> play 20 minutes a game, but that is life. <laughs> <laughs> that is life at, 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 a, at a club at the size of, uh, of Chelsea, unfortunately. But um, yeah. for the City side, though, they look like a team with a lot more control than they have in the past, right? And, and I think that control that they seem to have in almost every one of these games, as you saw, even in the second leg with Mufflin-Gladbach, they are so tight with the ball, especially. Like, even when they lose it, they're all in the right positions to be able to win it back. And and if they don't win it back, they're in the right position, positions to stifle a counter, right? And this is something that they've been done on with with the last few years in the Champions League, right? Um they just they feel like a more complete side than um in the past which which feels weird it's more the playing style feels more complete more than 
the actual talent, right? I think they've always had complete enough talent to win the Champions League. But um, the way they're playing this season, though, it's and recently, obviously, is is scary and, and should be scary for for Dortmund, obviously. But they they got a somewhat favorable draw for that side of the the bracket too. They were able to avoid Bayern and PSG, although they'll have to play one of them in the semis. But they, they uh, will. well, let's let's assume that they get past. Yeah, if they, if they get past, they past Dorman, of course, of yeah. course, if they get past Dorman. Yeah. So, uh, Elias, I think that you have kind of conceded that City are the favorites before for for the Champions League at least. Um, yes, I, I mean, I I did like... I did say that two weeks ago. Um, I said that Sans Barcelona making a miracle comeback, City are absolute <laughs> favorites. Um, for the for the Champions League, and I still maintain that. I still maintain that City are the all around most complete team, and over two legs, I think there are very few teams in the world, if any, that can beat them. The only team, maybe over two legs, I would argue. I I don't know. No, I really don't know if there's a team over two legs that would be able to do it, just based on current form. The only team that might honestly come to mind right now um, would be Liverpool or Real Madrid, quite honestly. Wow, so not Bayern or PSG. Not Bayern. I don't think Bayern or PSG would be the teams to do it. PSG, because their form in Liga has been equivalent of, again, clinical term is booty cheeks. So... I don't think that consistency has been their strong suit. I do think that their past win over the weekend, PSG's against Leon, was massive for them. Like, absolutely, like, season-changing. Um, so, But that was the first time that I've really seen this, seen, this, uh, seen this team step up. I've just, I've seen PSG kind of mentally collapse in a few games this season, and over two legs, you cannot do that against Manchester City. Bayern, on the other hand, still somewhat... Death Starry, you know, like similar to <laughs> Manchester City, but I still believe that the quality defensively, I probably argue, is in City's favor. Yeah. And Real Madrid, I think, are just kings of the Champions League over the last eight years. So I have very little reason to doubt <laughs> them when it comes to potential knockout games, um, despite what happened last, uh, two years ago. And Liverpool, I think, are always a dark horse especially this season when they have nothing else to play for. So that's my reasoning. But yes, City, City, I think, are still our overall favorites without a yeah. doubt. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm putting, I think I'm putting Bayern as my as second favorite still, but you're right. Very death, they're death starry. They're more traditional death starry, it feels like, in the sense of <laughs> there's, there is a very obvious weak point Right, it's that defense and it's that high line, which, which unfortunately they're just not as well equipped to deal with this season, and they and they've shown it, right? And it's will a team like City, I think PSG will call will cause them problems, especially if if uh, Neymar is is there, is um there for both legs. Yeah, the, I, I mean, the only thing that. Come, that kind of scares me about City in terms of like will they be able to actually get the job done their, their loss to Manchester United however you know it, it didn't feel like um, City played necessarily poorly that day it just 
it reminiscent of a few of their past Champions League knockouts, right? Where concede and concede a very careless goal early, and that was Jesus um, foul, somehow ending up in his in his own box after thirty seconds and fouling the opposing striker. Um, compare that to. I think if you look back to Leon, I think the first goal for them was also like some sort of mistake um, by like a high line and also Ederson weird positioning. Right, your dad um, is gonna hate listening to this part of the podcast. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it, that mistake early that leads to them not being able to get full get control of the game, and then eventually a counterattack goal happens almost out of nothing. The Luke Shaw goal in the in the United game. And then they have no real opportunity to make the other side play uncomfortably. And that is the only thing that kind of scares me about this team. And and I think those are way fewer and far between than, um, than at least last season. I think one of the big differences with City this season anyway is their efficiency when the game is like tied or, or down by one. Um, comparing to last season, their numbers are just a lot a lot better in terms of goals or expected goals to goal difference there they're they're just much better at kill not killing teams but taking that all important first step to get control of the game and, and they're much better at doing it this season uh and that's where i feel like that gives them the edge in the champions league completely agreed completely agreed i think we're both picking city to probably win the champions league uh, for the first time in <laughs> I, this is probably not the first time. Well, definitely did. I wasn't picking them last season, but the reason why, partially the reason why I'm like trying to be a little cautious about them because I think the two seasons prior to this basketball, and I felt like they were the best team in in Europe, and and they just well, they found were. a way to disappoint. They found a way to do something really weird, whether <laughs> it was with Pep's lineups or just or just the games being very weird themselves. That's true. That is very true. Well, you're not wrong, but uh, I'm just how how can they? I'm, this is a hundred percent. I'm I'm saying it now. I'm gonna come back to bite me. But how can they screw this up? All right, I said it. They're gonna screw it up. But <laughs> how can I? I yeah. It's been said. Yeah. It's been thrown out, and we'll be cutting <laughs> that and and rethrowing that into our next episode, like three or four <laughs> weeks from now, when they somehow lose because they get knocked out by yeah because pep decided to play like aguero jesus and who knows and and ake all together like up to oh my god in a front three (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) oh my god yeah i can see it now as as the podcast title will be goodness but anyway i think rian that wraps up everything we wanted to get to uh, fun week of English football slash European football over the last couple of days. And obviously we'll be back later in the week talking a little La Liga and, uh, that should, ooh, that should be fun. <laughs> I'll leave, I'll leave my thoughts for that, uh, for later in the week, but anyway, I Liga. Gonna... I, I Liga. I, yeah, that's true. That's true. There's the league. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back very soon. Thanks guys. Thank you.